Uh, this morning we are in our second week of the We Are series, rounding up the salt and light for the year. I can't believe our next series is Christmas. Um, but uh, we're looking at the characteristics of salt and light. And last week, Pam looked at preservation. And this week, I'm going to look at how salt makes us thirst and uh, how Jesus talked about how we're the salt and light of the earth. And um, as salt of the world, we should make people thirsty for Christ, not leave a bad taste in their mouth about church or Jesus. And so this morning, I uh, am going to talk about two different stories. Both stories are from the Bible. Uh, Both stories are about a man and a woman, and both represent us and Jesus. And somehow I will endeavour to interweave them with the Holy Spirit in order for you to be able to see Jesus in the most purest of light. And so it's a simple message this morning, but one that is so precious, because I'm going to share with you about the love of Jesus that he has for his bride, which is you. And so I pray that you don't switch off because you may have heard the stories before or something along those lines, but you'd lean in and allow Jesus to captivate your heart again. Be overwhelmed by his love again and how much he loves you. So for the first uh, story today, we're going to take a look at, and what a better story to look at than the woman at the well for when we're talking about thirst. So if you're taking notes, this is titled, Meet You at the Well. Excuse me. Yeah, thanks, sweet. Thanks for the encouragement. Josh, I'm sure my sickness wasn't anywhere near as bad as yours this week, but it's, uh, I'm going to get through it. The woman at the well. If you know the story, ask God to reveal something new. If you don't, uh, lean in and listen. This story is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus ever had in the Bible. And it's with a woman, which uh, is unusual for that time, but we're going to take a look and have a look at what John says about it, because he says it better than we could. And it's John chapter 4, and it says this, that Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. And so Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. You know, a telltale sign that you've slipped into religion or in a religious mindset is when you start keeping score. Be it good or bad that you've done or somebody else has done. If that affects the way that you have confidence before the Lord because of what you have done or what you have not done, you're in a religious mindset. And the Pharisees are keeping score of the good that Jesus had done and the good that John John the Baptist had done, and they'd set them up as rivals. And so we see Jesus completely, I'm not having any part of this, and he leaves the Judean countryside. He does this because we always see Jesus leaving religious drama and going towards the needs of hurting humanity. And he heads to a place, and it says in chapter 4, verse 4, in most uh, versions it says, now he had to go through Samaria. There's no indication that there was a pressing need in Galilee that he had to get there really quickly. Uh, There's there's no real explanation as to why Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was the shortest route, but definitely not the preferable one. Samaria, you see, is a place that Jews did not go. 
There was a long history of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it would actually prove to be quite dangerous for a Jew to travel through Samaria if the tensions were high. Also, Jews counted Samaritans as second-class citizens. When you hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was almost like an oxymoron to them. They're like, a good Samaritan? It just didn't happen. That were second-class citizens because these were the people that uh, blended their gods. They once served Yahweh, but now they've kind of invited different gods in and different people in, and they've intermarried, and they kind of worship here, and they kind of worship there. And some biblical scholars or commentaries have even referred to them as the Jews would see them as mutts. Horrible. And so he has no uh, real reason that we've given in the Bible that he had to go there. My conclusion and my limited understanding is that Jesus had to go to Samaria because there was a conversation he had to have. And in having that conversation, he was about to destroy racist, cultural, gender and religious divides, all whilst meeting a woman at a well with a desperate thirst for Jesus. And so we read on, verse 5. And so he arrived at the Samaritan town of Sitchar, near the tract of the land that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was then about the sixth hour, noon. That's important. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus uh, said to her, give me a drink. Nice, Jesus. For his disciples had gone off into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman asked him, I love that you can read attitude in this. Uh, How is it you, being a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink? For Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew about God's gift of eternal life and who it is who says, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead. And he would have given you living water, eternal life. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep. I wonder when Jesus switched over from talking about the spiritual water that she might have switched over in talking about herself as well. They started out talking about the physical water and he says, no, I could give you eternal water that will never make you thirst again. I wonder if the woman wasn't starting to talk about her when she says, you have nothing to work with here and this well is very deep. You don't know what's going on in this well, Jew man. You don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You have nothing to work with with me, really. You're wasting your time. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and who used to drink from it himself and his sons and his cattle also? It's almost like I, she's saying, this well is so deep. Trust me, I'm used, I'm used garbage. There's nothing to work with here. And I've tried to do it the way that I've been told to. This is where Jacob came. I've been doing it the way that I've been told to do it. What do you have to offer me? And Jesus answered her. If everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give will give him, will become in him a spring of water 
satisfying the thirst for God, welling up, continually flowing, bubbling with him to eternal life. You can almost see the desperation in the woman as she says, Sir, give me this water. And we kind of think she's got it. But then she goes like this, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again and I won't have to keep coming back to this well. (laughs) Kind of got it there, woman. (laughs) Kind of not. So she's crying out. There's something that Jesus is offering that she she gets the thirst for, but she's still trying to think in this physical world. And and Jesus just changes it over. He's like, righto, righto. Let's let's go a different track. Okay, woman. Uh, How about you go get your husband? Go call your husband and come back. And she, it's almost like she takes a breath. I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you you have correctly said you don't have a husband. Dodged a bullet there. But he goes on to say, oh, no, 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 you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. So, yeah, you've told me the truth. Oh, I just wanted to come get some water. (laughs) The truth is she was there at noon in the middle of the day because the other crowd wouldn't have been. They came in early in the morning, in the cool of the morning, so they could, all the women would go to the well and get the water and, and chat and do their thing. It's like meet you at the well. And uh, they all go and they chat and they, they catch up on each other and they go their other ways. But this woman has waited till the middle of the day in the hot sun because she knows no one else is going to be there. Why? Because not only this man now knows she has five husbands and she's living with some other man, but the whole town knows it too. She is a woman covered in shame. She's a woman hiding out. I I didn't want this conversation. I didn't plan on meeting my maker today. And he just sees everything, all of her for everything she's worth. I love the response that she says, well, sir, I see you're a prophet. (laughs) I've noticed that. But it's almost like this cry comes out of her in the next part. And she says, well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place where we ought to worship is Jerusalem. It's almost like her going, all right, you've seen me for everything I'm worth. My people say worship here. You say worship there. Tell me, how do I get free and how do I get clean of it? How do I go and get this washed off me? Because I'm so sick of being the woman clothed in shame, hiding out. Tell me, where should I worship? Because when you go to the temple, you bring the sacrifice so that your sins would be forgiven. But she's so confused. I have tried to get rid of this myself, Jew. Tell me, where do you worship? He replies to her and says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when God's kingdom comes. When you will worship the Father, neither on that mountain or in Jerusalem, You Samaritans, you don't know what you worship. You're taking bits and pieces of everything. We Jews, we know what we worship for salvation comes from the Jews. But a time's coming and is already here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, from the heart, from the inner self and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshippers. God is spirit, the source of life, yet invisible to mankind. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
It's almost like the woman at the well picks up and she goes, oh, I can connect with this. I know what he's saying. I, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, the anointed one. And when he comes, he'll tell us everything we need to know. When he comes, I'll finally be free. When he comes, he'll finally redeem me. I know he's coming. I know far off in the distance, I believe that he's coming. The desperation of a woman holding out hope to finally be seen for all she is and to be accepted. And I can only imagine the smile on my Jesus' face. The love in his eyes as he looked at her. The expression, the tenderness of his voice when he just turns to her and says, That's me. I am He. I'm Him. Everything you've hoped for, it's me. In verse 28, I can only imagine something supernatural and spiritual took place because it says this, Then the woman left her water jar. I am done with this well and ran into the city and began telling people, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? And so the people left the city and were coming to him. What kind of exchange needs to take place that there's joy when someone finds out everything that you've done? Isn't this the most terrifying thought that someone would see you for everything you really are? And this woman, it's not uncommon for her to run into the town saying, I've found a man. She was running some kind of men's ministry. She like, she, but this, this town, they'd heard her talk about men before, but this time, come and see a man who I am not hiding. Come and see a man who, who I didn't have to hide one thing of who I am from him. And he accepted me. Come, city, come, come and have a look. And the whole town came. You see, we're talking about that we need to be the salt of the earth and to make people thirsty. But the well that makes people thirst for what or who we have is simply birthed when we, like this woman, bring our broken, dry and desperate selves and allow the maker to declare, I am, over them. I am enough to cover all that I see and the well is dug when in return we see Jesus for who he really is. The man who sits on the well and waits for you. The second story I want to tell us this morning is uh, it's about a king and his bride. Uh, it's found in uh, the book of Song of Solomon's. Ooh which is often overlooked as just a romance story. But really, it is describing the love story between Jesus and his church. We read beautiful verses such as 1-4, Take me away with you, let's run off together an elopement with my king lover. We'll celebrate, we'll sing, we'll make great music. Yes, for your love is better than vintage wine. Everyone loves you, of course, and why not? This is the bride talking to her husband, 
And we see in 2, 10 to 14, look around you, winter is over. The winter rains are over and gone. Spring flowers are in blossom all over. The whole world's a choir and we're singing, let me see your face. Let me see you for everything you are. Let me hear your voice for your voice is soothing and your face is ravishing. We hear lines that the bride says, I just want to sit in his shade. It's a story between Jesus and his church. And it's the most beautiful picture of love and it's no ordinary romance. It's of King Jesus and you. The Bible continually uses the wedding metaphor for us and Jesus. And it's important that we keep that picture before us when we think about it. And just like in a wedding service when the bride and groom say to each other, all that I am, I give to you. Everything that I have is yours. And this exchange takes place. But in this story, the girl is just an ordinary girl, but she's marrying a king. So in return becomes a queen. There was nothing that she could do to become queen. It's not like she did some queeny kind of chores or had to do a prep course to become queen. The only reason she became queen is because the king chose her, loved her and chose her. And just as these two are married in the book of Song of Solomons, it is the same with us and Jesus. When he looked at us and said, will you love, cherish and obey me? And if we accept, this great marriage swap takes place. Everything of ours becomes his and everything of his becomes ours. But somehow we get caught up and we we know everything of ours becomes him, but we think it's kind kind of like some journey for us to trek all the way to get everything of his as ours. But it's immediate. The swap takes place when we accept In the most strange and unexplainable turn of events, he takes our sin. He takes our shame, our pain, our guilt, our wrongdoing, our filthy rags, all become his. And it's crazy. His crown becomes ours. His blessing becomes ours. His glory becomes ours. His righteousness is ours. His salvation is ours in an instant when we accept And where Jesus took our crown of thorns, we now wear his crown of glory. What a beautiful picture. That's you, church. He's talking about you. Martin Luther says this about when we try and think about this marriage swap almost like we have to earn it. No, 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 this is what he says. When the devil throws up our sins throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought, we ought to speak this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and where He is, there I shall be also. The confidence before the King Michael Reeves has a beautiful response to this and he says this about that quote, this is the perfect answer for the Christian who is dogged by failure and by the whisperings of the accuser. 
Instead of trying to top up the work of the cross by offensive attempts to buy off God and instead of trying to sweep our guilt under improved behaviour, we can own up to it. Knowing that it, is no longer, it no longer defines us. We have a new identity in Christ. We died with Him and now where He is in newness of life, we shall be there also. How beautiful. Why do I tell you this love story? Because in becoming queen, this woman would have had every single resource at her fingertips for the kingdom. The gold, the servants. She would have been, at her command, things would have had to happen. Every bit of kingdom resource would have been hers. But all the way through the song, we never hear of her speaking of wanting those. She says this, but my beloved is mine. I just want to sit in his shadow. And too often we forget that before Jesus was ever our example, he was our gift. He was our gift to be enjoyed, a present from God to us. We forget that we are his absolute joy and delight. Instead, we take on what the woman at the well does. We give him the half-truths. Yeah, I don't have a husband because we think if he sees all of us, he, he won't ever, ever be in anymore. We give him our half-confessions. I'm kind of bad at this, but I'm really good at this. And, and, but he, he sees us all and you are his joy and delight. Michael Reeves says this about it. Astonishingly, we are not some odious charity case for him. We make his pupils dilate and his heart sing. He delights in us and will not stop. We are truly, deeply and passionately loved. You are not some dodgy arranged marriage for Jesus that he got lumped with. He had to come to you. He had to come find you. In the same way, he had to go find that woman. He would not let the differences and the animosity keep him at bay. He doesn't care about the, the fights you've had with him, the anger that you've had with him, how you've pushed him away and you've cursed him and you've ignored him. He had to come find you. Love compelled him to come find you. We forget that he wants to sit with us at the well. And somehow we have to go out and make this salty thing happen. Try and hype Jesus up. Try and promote him. Get a new program about him. He doesn't need your advertising. He needs your conversation. We forget the joy of the conversation at the well. And how much we're loved. I wonder when was the last time that you felt every part of you was exposed Go on, let your mind go there to your darkest secrets. Every part of you was seen, but not one part was unloved. That's what you get at the well with Jesus. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done and now I am filled with joy and grace and peace. Come and sit with him, he's beautiful. He saw everything that Samaritan woman had done, but instead of shame, there was joy. It's the great marriage swap of you and I, church. Everything you've done, 
is exchanged for everything he had. In John 4, 39, it says, Now the Samaritan, Samaritans from that city believed in him and trusted him as saviour because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me all the things that I've done. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to remain with them. We don't need to make Jesus attractive. Try and put together a salty recipe for the world. Could it be that the very thing that you think you need to try so hard to create to make people thirsty for him is actually just birthed by spending time with him? We make people thirsty for Jesus when we go to the well, when we sit, spend time with the one who chose us, when we remember to enjoy Christ, When we come to Jesus, the eternal well is birthed. He said that to the woman. When you come and drink my water, a well is created within you. And it's out of that well that you, that people see Jesus and go, I want to know that man. I want, what is that about you? Jesus moved away from the people keeping count. You know what? This world has enough people keeping count on them. There are children with mothers and fathers keeping count, telling them how they've failed. There are spouses and relationships reminding everybody how you're not living up. There is Instagram and social media reminding everybody you're not actually keeping score with the rest of us. They don't need that. They need the well of acceptance from Jesus Christ. Give them something different to taste. And don't force it. Don't force it, church. It's not something that you have to do. I tell you the story about the bride and the king to remind you that he loves you. Did you think you had to work for his acceptance? Do you think there's some supernatural tally going on? There's not. He just loves you. You're the delight of his life. He pines to be with you. And he had to come for you. He creates a well inside of us that causes people to say, I want to meet that man. As the band comes, I have one last beautiful quote. Ponder upon it. It says this, Learn much of the Lord Jesus Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And for all sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and the excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Your loved church. When you realise that, you want to spend time with him. And a well is created within you that draws the world to drink from Jesus' eternal water of life. Amen. Let's stand and worship.